going to come up? And why don't we just pray for Tim before he speaks? Why don't you stretch out a hand? So, Father, we thank you so much for Tim. Thank you for your love for him, for who he is in you, and the message you have for us today. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thanks, Ben, and um, thanks for your welcome. It's great to be with you this morning, and um, you were just talking about connect, you know, connections, and I'm just thinking, um, we walk in here, and one of our team turns out, obviously knows one of your production people here, and, and I realize when I, I've been in this hall before, um, maybe 30 years ago, I think um, a friend of uh, somebody I was ordained with, um, Richard Dormandy, was the curate here, and he ran a youth group, and we all came over to the youth thing that was happening here. And then he went on to be the vicar. And then he went on to be your vicar, St. James the Less. This is like it's a small world, isn't it, really, um, in these connections, the way everything kind of links in. Um, and yeah, we know, knew Ben and Lydia. Uh, were you at St. Barnabas before Ben came? I think about the same time? Um, and it's just been brilliant. These are great people, and um, we just love what God is doing in their lives. And it's been a privilege to journey with them. And we hear a little bit about what's going on here at Holy Trinity, because they tell us. Um, and we've been praying uh, for them and for you, and especially coming today. And I've been thinking about what was on my heart to share with you. And so uh, the reading we had was it's quite kind of kind of packed, isn't it, that that um, whenever you read some of those New Testament letters, you kind of think, gosh, I'd take a sentence in at a time and I have to kind of like think it three, three times before I really understand what it's saying. But I do want to, to share a little bit about that because, because well, I'd, let me just back up a little bit. Last night, we had staying with us a visiting person to our church who's there this morning um, from, who does escape from North Korea. And he was telling us about how uh, he'd escaped into China and how he was imprisoned in China. And that reminded me of something I'd read from a Christian author, Philip Yancey, who wrote What's So Amazing About Grace. And he, um, he interviewed, 20 years ago, he interviewed um, some Christians from the underground church in China. Um, and he writes about his experience. Forbidden strictly by communist authorities, millions of Christians in China have nonetheless been meeting in unregistered and illegal house churches of up to 30 people. And Philip Yancey, writing about his experiences meeting some of these church leaders in China, says, even during my interviews, my hosts kept the windows closed tight for fear of eavesdroppers and posted a guard outside. One of the leaders, Yuan, told me he had been arrested tortured and imprisoned for 22 years just for attending a church meeting. And yet many tens of millions of Christians risk imprisonment and torture by going to these churches. And Philip Yancey says, why? Why would you risk that just to meet together with a few other Christians? Why would you do that? And then Philip Yancey carries on. He says this, Furthermore, why do they and so many other oppressive governments throughout church history feel so threatened by church gatherings? What purpose do they serve? 
that a powerful government feels compelled to shut them down. And here's the punchline, really. He writes, It's a great irony that while so many church members in the West wonder why they should bother to go to church or get involved, when those most vehemently opposed to its message know exactly why they go, fear it and do everything they can to shut it down. What do they get that we don't get? What are they experiencing that makes them willing to risk that just to go to church with probably fewer people than are here this morning? Why would you do that? And yet the thing is about the the church in China is that they're able now to speak a little bit about their experiences. And Brother Wan um, and Brother Yun, sometimes known as the heavenly man, um, they, they say to interviewers from the West, what? You don't know, why do we gather? You're seriously asking us why we gather? We gather because he is in the midst of his people. The Lord is in the midst of his people. The Lord is enthroned in the praises of his people. When Joel uh, and the people of Joel's time are facing a huge calamity, Joel doesn't say go home and pray in your uh, front room. He doesn't say remember you're a child of God, things will get better. He says call a sacred assembly because the Lord your God is in the midst. The prophet Zephaniah uh, gathered the people together and said, because the Lord is among you when you are together and he sings over you. The Lord is in your midst. Jesus says, where two or more are gathered together, I am among them. And on the day of Pentecost, they weren't all praying in their little rooms, having their quiet times. It says they were all together in one place. And the Spirit of God, who is the presence of God in the midst, comes in power. Would I risk 22 years in prison for that? What do we need to understand about the power of God in the midst that somehow our friends in China get and in North Korea get, that somehow we don't quite see? And in this reading that we had from Romans, I want to look um, at at why we welcome the Holy Spirit. Why should we welcome the Holy Spirit? And we welcome him because of who he is, um, because of what he does, and because of how he comes. But firstly, because of who he is. If you followed the reading, um, and you can, uh, it's in Romans chapter 8. It's interesting that Paul says, if the Spirit of Christ is in you, then the Spirit gives you life, and as the Spirit raised Christ from the dead, then the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that now is living in you will also raise you, for the Spirit of Christ in you uh, will raise you by the Spirit that was at work in him. And you kind of gets a bit confusing. And what's Paul saying? He's saying that when the Spirit comes, he brings the person and presence of Jesus to life. It's almost like they're interchangeable. When God is in the midst of his people by the Spirit, he points us to Jesus. He 
does the things of Jesus. Everything that Jesus did, the Spirit of God does. They're almost interchangeable. You can't, you, you can't think that the Holy Spirit is doing one thing and Jesus is doing something else. Jesus himself said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Um, John, John chapter something, verses 16, verse 14. Um, he will make it known to you. What does that mean? Well, you see, Jesus forgives us our sins. Jesus is full of forgiveness. But Jesus is in heaven. And I'm down here. How does that forgiveness that Jesus has, how, how does it help me? Jesus says, no, it doesn't matter. Don't worry. Don't worry. The Spirit of God will take from the forgiveness that is in Jesus. And when he is in your midst, he will cause it to explode within you. So that the forgiveness and the joy of knowing that there is nothing between us and God will, will fill you and permeate every part of you. Jesus is full of love for you. But Jesus is in heaven. And I'm down here. So how's that going to help me? Jesus says, don't worry, because when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will take from the love that is in Jesus, and he will cause the reality of it to explode in your heart as we are in the midst. When God comes in his people, on the praises of his people, and as we gather together in his name, Jesus' love is manifest to us. Jesus is full of joy, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Jesus is full of joy, and I could really use some joy in my life, but he's in heaven, and I'm down here. Jesus says, don't worry about that. The Holy Spirit will take from some of the joy that is in Jesus, and when he comes into the midst, he will cause it to explode in your heart so that the joy that is with Jesus will come alive in you. Why do we welcome the Spirit? Because it's Jesus. The Spirit comes to bring everything that Jesus died to win for us. But Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. People often say, Jesus did this in my life, Jesus did that. And of course it's true, but what they mean is it's the Spirit. The Spirit of God was sometimes being called the go-between God. The one who goes between Jesus enthroned in heaven and us down here. And he takes from what is in Jesus, and he makes it known to us. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you as orphans. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus on the earth today. We welcome the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in our midst because he brings the reality of Jesus into our lives that's what he does. The second reason why we welcome the Spirit, the Spirit comes in our midst, is because of what he does. In, um, in Romans chapter 10, verse 8, it says, the Spirit brings life. The Spirit brings life. I, I don't know what your experience of being a Christian is, for the first five years of my life, of my Christian life, I think I was a Christian. But I think I was just learning how to be a Christian. I was 12 years old, 
and um, I went to a good church youth group, and I kind of believed in Jesus, but, but I just, it was just I believed in him, and I learned how to be a Christian. I think you can do that. So we'd go to church, and I noticed that when the worship would get to a certain crescendo and a certain point, people would sometimes just lift their hands um, in the air, and I thought, I can do that, and I learned how to do that. I knew that um, Christians um, aren't supposed to swear or kind of like, you know, take the Lord's name in vain, and that's a hard one for me. I was 15, I think, at the time, going to a school in, uh, in London, in West London, and um, but I did my best not to because I was learning how to be a Christian. I didn't do it very well um, and slipped out quite a few times. But I, I don't, I'm not going to swear too much because I, I think I don't hear Christians swearing in church. My guess is you're not supposed to. So I tried learning to be a Christian. And then at the age of 18, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And everything that I knew about started to come alive within me. It started to um, make, make sense. It was like the reality of it would come. Why do we welcome the Holy Spirit? Because he brings life. Where we might know about something, the Spirit brings the life of it, the energy of it. Somebody once described it as going on a long walk and carrying a picnic in a rucksack on your back. And it's quite heavy, um, and it can weigh you down. But then you get to lunchtime, and you actually get to eat the picnic. Now the load is lighter, and you've got the fuel inside you to finish the walk. And it's possible to be a Christian walking, carrying the load on our backs. But the Spirit says, I want to take that load. <laughs> I'm going to cause it to be within you, and it will give you fuel to endure and to keep going. And we welcome the Spirit because not only of who he is, because it's the person of Jesus, because of what he does, because he brings life. And there are seasons in our lives when we need to know it and receive the Spirit all over again because life gets tough and difficult. And what we need in those times is not a better church or a better group of Christians or a better bunch of people to do it with. What we need is the power and presence of God's Holy Spirit. I had this great, um, a lovely quote from uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon, who wrote this, the grand thing the church wants in this time, keep in mind he's writing quite a long time ago, is God's Holy Spirit. You all get up plans and say, now if the church were altered a little bit, it would go on better. You think if there were different ministers or a different church order or some better songs or hymns or different, or different, it would, it would all, that all would be well. No, dear friends, it is not there that the mistake lies. It is that we are in want of more of the Spirit. Now, people say this must be altered and that must be altered, but it would go no better unless the Spirit of God should come. Maybe nothing's changed much in 70 years since he wrote this. Maybe we still tend to think, if any of the church were more like this, if only we had a different pastor, if only we had a different this, if only we had a different that. He says, no, this is the church's greatest want. Until that want be supplied, we may reform and reform and reform, and it will all be just the same. 
Whatever faults there may be in our organization, they can never materially impede the progress of Christianity when once the Spirit of the Lord God is in our midst. Maybe that's why they risk 22 years in prison. Because they are so desperate for the power and presence of God by His Spirit to be in their midst because they know they have nothing unless he comes. I didn't suspect that that bothered about the structure or the, the ways and stars of a, a little house church that's more concerned about being dragged off for 22 years and tortured. They're probably just grateful that Jesus is there. Am I? Or am I always looking at how the church could be better? And why does the Spirit come? Because the Spirit reminds us that that's what we need more than anything, more than anything else. And we're to long for the Spirit, and we're to welcome the Spirit among us because of what He does. He brings life. And um, the third thing that Paul says the Holy Spirit does, I think it's in, um, uh, we get it in verses 14, verse 14. The Spirit uh, guides us. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. The Spirit frees us from fear. It says we're no longer a slave to fear because the Spirit has come. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit breaks fears and anxieties from us. And we need that more than ever. I don't know what it's like here in Sydney. We don't have a huge... Our youth group isn't, isn't particularly big in Christchurch in Tunbridge Wells. Last week... Yeah, last Monday, out of a relatively modest youth group, we had four children not in school due to social anxiety. Four children out of school because of chronic social anxiety. One girl hasn't been to school this time because she can't face going. We need the Spirit of God more than ever before. Our young people are acting out a, a national anxiety that's gripping whole sections of our society. I don't think it, this anxiety is really... I don't think it's... I mean, it is their individual anxiety, but I think they're just acting out this kind of corporate... Everyone's just anxious about everything right now. It's just post-COVID world in which we live. Never before has the church needed to be able to give a better story. Paul says the Spirit of God means that we're no longer slaves to fear. And we need that Holy Spirit for the sake of our young people, if not for us. We need to welcome the Spirit in our midst because when He comes, He breaks the fears and the anxieties. He enables us to trust Jesus in place of uh, worrying about the future. And the thing that, that there's lots of things the Holy Spirit does, but Paul gives you one more. He says, when the Spirit of God comes, he helps you to know that you are God's child. It, it's as if he says that the Spirit that, that's in our midst cries out, Abba, Father. It, it, it just brings a deep sense of being loved by God as his children, that if I'm his child, then he will look out for me and look after me. And I think lots of Christians struggle to really believe that, to trust that I'm God's child. One of my favorite um, little poems um, 
Uh, it's called, I don't know if uh, you may have heard it before, probably you have, because Ben's probably copied all my illustrations and stolen them mercilessly, uh, without crediting me, I suspect. Um, but I love this. This is called The Old Violin. Have you done this? <laughs> Excellent. So it goes like this. Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin as he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good folks, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A pound? Who'll make it two? Two pounds? Who'll make it three? Three pounds once, three pounds twice, going and gone, said he, but no. From the room far back came a grey-haired man, and he picked it up with the bow, and wiping the dust from the old violin, and tightening up all the strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as an angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, in a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for the old violin, as he held it up with the bow? A thousand pounds. Who'll make it two? Two thousand pounds. Who'll make it three? Three thousand pounds once, three thousand pounds twice. Going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them said, we do not quite understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply. "'Twas the touch of the master's hand. Now many a one with life out of tune that's battered and torn with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul or the change that is brought by the touch of the master's hand. It's tempting to wonder what value my life really has in the great scheme of things. But when the Spirit of God is in our midst, we cry out, Abba, Father. You're a Father who, who has called me your child. And you've given me dignity and value. And because you've touched my life, I find incredible value. And that gives me a sense of purpose and hope. And this matters this matters not only for us, but also for our younger generations that are struggling to know whether actually they're worth anything at all. When the Spirit comes, says Paul, he'll cause the, the, that sense of being adopted as God's children, he'll cause it to explode within you. And whatever we're going through, you'll be able to say, but I'm God's child and so I'm trusting him. And you'll mean it because the Spirit of God is in you, crying out, Abba, Father. And, and finally, you know, we welcome the Holy Spirit because of um, how he comes. Because of how he comes. Um, Paul says, I don't know if you noticed it in the, in, in the reading, he says that the spirit you've received um, is a, like the spirit of sonship. Now, we, we know that we have to believe in the Father, and we know that we have to believe in the Son, and you also have to believe in the Holy Spirit. But do you know what? In the New Testament, there's lots of passages that talk about believing in the Father and believing also in the Son whom he sent. But it hardly ever says that you must believe in the Holy Spirit. Not because we mustn't, 
but because the Holy Spirit isn't just to be believed in. The Holy Spirit is to be received. Believe in God the Father, believe in God the Son, and receive God the Holy Spirit. When uh, the Apostle Paul goes through, uh, first gets to Ephesus, he finds a very small group of believers, maybe just six or so people, and he starts to talk to them about their faith. And he, he says they believe in the Father, yes, they believe in Jesus, they come. Um, and then he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? You believe in the Father, you believe in the Son, but did you receive the Spirit? He doesn't say, do you believe in the Spirit? He says, did you receive him? And these people say, no, we didn't. And Paul lays his hands upon them, and the Spirit of God comes upon them. Again, six people gathered together. The Spirit comes. The, we welcome the Spirit because he has to be received. Everybody has as much of the Holy Spirit as they want. Everybody has as much of the Holy Spirit as they want. Maybe in China, maybe in North Korea, they see their need more clearly. And so they understand how desperately important it is. And they're willing to risk 22 years. And maybe we need to hear their stories. Maybe this morning, even just sharing, I know it's secondhand, sharing someone else's story. But maybe we need to hear that in order to value the promise of God that when we gather he is in the midst to be received. And every Sunday, I imagine that I'm receiving again the gift of God's Spirit. I must have done that for week and week and week in, week out now for many, many years. For me, Sunday, I receive God's Spirit all over again. Who was it who said um, that they prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and somebody said, why do you do that? I can't remember who it was. And they just said, because I leak. I'm full of the Spirit today, but I leak throughout the week. And I need to receive the Spirit all over again. We welcome the Spirit among us because of who He is, because He brings Jesus. He brings all that Jesus died to win for you. He brings it into your life. We welcome the Spirit among us because of what He does. And we welcome the Holy Spirit because we have to receive Him. We have to say, yes, Lord, that's what I would like. Is it worth 22 years in prison? I don't know. Lord, that seems a big thing. But I'm grateful for the example. I'm grateful that it shows me what I'm not getting, that they're getting. What they understand that I need to understand better. And Lord, I need to receive from your Spirit. If, if not just for me, for a younger generation that are going to find this, this future that we're going into is not going to be easy. And if for their sake only... I need to be full of the Holy Spirit, free of fear, knowing that I'm God's child so that I can be there for our young people who are going to be looking for role models. How do you do this? And you will tell them the Spirit of God is in our midst. If you're able, can I invite you to stand? Um, Myra's going to come and just lead and what I'd love us to do is just have an opportunity to pray. Julian and, and Rosie have come, and I know there's, there's folks here, and we pray. Um, but we're just going to wait. And, Father, I thank you that the Spirit of God, even in Sydenham 2023, uh, October the 8th, you, 
Your promise is the same here now as it ever was. The Lord is in our midst, and Father, we thank you that even this morning, here at this place, those promises are still for us. You are in the midst. And we want to receive you in a fresh way again this morning. And we want to be desperate for it. We want to hunger and thirst for it, just like our friends in persecuted countries do, because they know how desperately important it is. And maybe we don't. But Lord, we're sorry about that, and we, we want to receive. We want to receive your Holy Spirit again this morning. And as I prayed about today, I sense there may be some who, it's just been a wearying time, and you, you need the rest that only the Holy Spirit can bring you. You think, oh, I need a holiday, I need a break. Yeah, but actually, the Spirit of God brings rest. Jesus has come to me, all you are heavy laden, I will give you rest. It's that he's in heaven. It's the Spirit of God that will take from the deep rest of Jesus and cause it to flood your heart. Yeah, I just, um, as Tim was speaking um, about the Holy Spirit, and um, it's great to feel the sense of his spirit in us. But in the Bible, when the spirit comes, there's a, an outpouring. There's gifts that he gives us, of his spirit. And I, I really believe God wants to give those gifts out today. So maybe you've, some of the gifts of the Spirit, you've been thinking about that. You'll probably already have that on your heart. And you think, I'd really love to have that. And maybe we can just pray that God will give you those things that you're asking for. Rosie, do you have a room or something? Okay, cool. Uh, uh, ben, how do we do this? Can we, should we invite people just 